On this episode, I interviewed Haley Gosman, who's a Gold Coast Suns Academy head physiotherapist. The main topic of this podcast was physiotherapy and rehabilitation at the elite youth academy level. Haley first talked about the biggest differences she's noticed within this level versus age group, club level, as well as older adults in ways that these athletes with the elite youth academy are different. She also talks about players dealing with their first injuries and ways she's dealt with this, talking about group approach, different rehab phases, as well as ways to keep them training while they are injured. We then talked about how or if she has to sell rehab and the importance of rehab at this level, but how the Gold Coast Suns have implemented this and ingrained this in the academy level all the way up. We've talked about things that she's implemented and worked with a strength and conditioning coach to try and reduce injury risk, as well as some common injuries at this age group and level. We talked about other factors that the players are dealing with being this kind of teen uh, elite level and, and other factors that play into their training as well as keeping them as healthy and ready to go as possible. And then we talked about something that I thought was really important, a really good takeaway is the fact that all of this is, is the whole point of this academy system and what the Sun's trying to do is it's long-term development. So they're not thinking of now, they're thinking of getting these players developed and ready to go to try to get drafted and play professionally. So it was all kind of based around that. And I thought it was just a really good reminder to a lot of people and, and a good way to understand and see how it's done. So, great episode. Here it is. Welcome to No Weak Links with Patrick Wood. The purpose of this podcast is to help you learn up-to-date, evidence-based content and knowledge through life experiences. This podcast is perfect for athletes, strength and conditioning coaches, rehab professionals, or anyone in the sports performance or sports medicine industry. So please, have a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Noic Links. I'm your host, Patrick Wood, and today I have on Haley Gossman, who is a Gold Coast Suns Academy head physiotherapist. So thank you very much for taking the time to be on, Haley. If you first just want to introduce yourself and talk about your background, um, what you used to do, what your career is now, and then we can go from there. Sure. Thank you for having me. So um, I'm Haley. I'm a titled sports and exercise physiotherapist. I did my Bachelor of Physiotherapy at Charles Sturt Uni in Aubrey um, graduated in 2011 and went straight into private sports practice after that. Um, so this is my 10th year working as a physio now. It's my ninth year working in AFL as a physio. So I spent my first year working in Canberra um, in, a, in a private sports clinic where I had really good exposure to a whole heap of different sports, but very quickly worked out that I liked AFL the most um, as, as I sort of grew up with AFL and my family's really into it. Uh, I then moved up to Brisbane and I spent two years working with the Aspley Hornets, which is in the NEFL. So the NEFL has now turned into the VFL, um, but the NEFL back then was the Queensland, New South Wales and Canberra comp. So really high level comp, um, basically reserve comp for Brisbane Lions and Gold Coast Suns. Um, and then after two years there, I moved down to the Gold Coast and I spent five years working with Palm Beach AFL in the Queensland AFL um, league uh which was again was really really good um community football is slightly different to your professional football uh so after five years i was ready to try and step up to that professional level again and i was lucky enough to get the job as the gold coast suns academy physio so that's working with our under 19s boys and girls program and i've been doing that for two years now 
Perfect. Well, yeah, so that's going to be our topic today on the podcast is just going to be kind of working with that or the elite level youth between the 15, 19 age range, roughly. So I guess first question uh, we can kind of start off with is uh, what would you say some of the biggest differences you've noticed at this level and age group from either um, older ages or or not as <clears throat> not as high level athletes that you're working with now? Sure. Um, so the, the really great thing about this academy program is we we get these kids, well, basically they start to become part of the Gold Coast Sun system when they're 13 or 14, so the under 15s age group. And the program's set up really well that these kids learn the best way to manage injuries and what they need to do if they're injured. And the pathway and the instructions to them are just really, really clear. So by the time I get involved when, when they're 17, they're already really, really structured. They're really good at their prehab, really good at their rehab, really good at reporting injuries. So it's it's very rare. It does happen, but it's very rare that we'll have someone come up and say, I've had three weeks of a niggly shin or calf or whatever it is. Um, a lot of the time it's on the day they'll say, just letting you know, my calf's a bit sore. It feels okay, but let's keep an eye on it. Um, and that's just really good because it, it helps us to work out straight away. Do we rest them? Can we push through them? And we know, and then you're not seeing things three weeks later when more damage has been done and you're trying to chase your tail to get them back on track. Um, so that's great compared to community football, which can be a whole different story where sometimes it's six weeks, eight weeks before you even hear about an injury that the player has been carrying. Um, so that's probably the, the nicest thing with working with Academy. Um, and then the other thing I find in this particular age group is they do heal fast. So a 18 year old compared to a 28 year old does seem to recover really quick. Um, and they don't have those sort of chronic niggly injuries that a 28 year old has been dealing with for the past 10 years. And yeah, usually, yeah. like with the eighteen-year-olds, we can we can get on top of it. So if they get a, a patella tendinopathy, we can usually manage it, and they recover. Um, but definitely in community football, I've dealt with players who'd had a ten-year history of a patella tendinopathy that comes and goes, and they just kind of push through it, and it's something that becomes really chronic. Yep. So yeah, it's two in, really uh, great things I about think... working with academy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think going back though is could you maybe talk a little bit about. Uh, how this is ingrained or the, or the steps that they get in, they go through kind of growing up to then have this sort of knowledge and I guess habits built up to where they do come and approach you. Uh, do, do you kind of know about how all that goes on and, and, and to get to more of the level when they come in for you? Sure. So we, we have our academy manager and our sort of head coach of the, so the boys football program, then head coach of the girls football program. Um, which usually those two coaches will look after the under-19s, but they do feed down to the lower levels and they'll have involvement in all levels. So between the manager and the coach from induction day, um, which is when the sons will do a, a big meeting to all the kids and all the parents starting from the under-15 age group, it's made very clear that this is what we do um, and it's reinforced every training session that if you have any niggles, this is our academy physio, you talk to her. Um, so they're just really good at reinforcing that point. And then... We also work very close with, closely with our strength and conditioning coach. So again, like particularly with these 19s, we will see them five or six times a week. So it's a really close relationship. Um, and if anything's niggling, usually myself or the SNC can already see that they're lagging on the field or they just don't look right and we'll pull them up and ask them. Um, but as I said, that is quite rare. A lot of the time they let us know beforehand. Uh, so I think yeah. because these kids are in the system for four or five years before they get to me, they, they just know this is what you do. They're told at the start of every season that if there's any injuries, you report them straight away. This is our physio. These are her contact details. 
and then that's reinforced through through the season as well yeah nice and obviously that's going to take uh, some trust to build up in order to to tell you or or it's just ingrained do you do you find it that they it's not as thought of because i feel like in community football it might be more of a level of off i tell them they're going to try to sit me out whereas in this it maybe it's it's shaped differently where if i if i tell them i can get on top of it and get back playing quicker is that maybe a mindset or a shift that starting them young and getting shown the importance of it uh, kind of changes yeah exactly um and i think they they sort of think if they tell us we'll be able to help them um to help them get better quicker particularly because that it is the first time a lot of them are facing injuries so they don't actually know what to do um as compared to your older community football players who may have had the same thing five years ago and and they think they can manage it and they can push through it and they'll be okay um these 17 18 year olds are almost reluctant to push through it um particularly because their 19th well 18th and 19th year is such a big year and it's you know, they, they need to be at their very best to try and get drafted. So they don't want any little injuries um, getting in the way. So they're usually very good at reporting it. Um, mm. And we're, we're really good at just having open discussions between myself, the coach, and the SNC about, yeah, this is what the injury is. This is what you have coming up. This is what we prioritize as the most important game. So we want to make sure you're right for this, this, and this. And if that means we have to push through this, then we can do it. Or if it means we rest you now and have you right at the back end of the year that's more important yeah and there's probably obviously a lot more structure compared to this your community level football player and and it's a lot higher level and there's a lot more expected of these players so is is would you say that there's even you know you, you're going to have to get them back to an even higher level than you might send someone back at a community level in order to to perform and uh, at, the, at the level they need to mm, yes exactly yeah and then there also isn't that pressure of trying to get up every single week for a game, um, you know, to keep the club in contention for finals because our, our academy series will be maximum five or six high-level games and that's it. So there's plenty of time between games to get on top of those niggly things, whereas I guess your, your community football season is jam-packed um, and there always seems to be games where the players don't want to miss it because it's against, you know, an opponent that they really don't like or it's a must-win or whatever it is um whereas academy it doesn't we don't really have that pressure yeah so you'd get m- some multiple weeks off in between each games then yeah, yeah yeah so the boys and the girls will have the option to drop back into their club football uh in between but priority is very much on our academy series so they're not pushing through unnecessary club games yeah okay and then you mentioned before too about obviously this is going to be a lot of their first times dealing with major injuries if, if they do have it or so I guess maybe we can expand on that some and, and how have you had any experiences or obviously examples uh, uh, without obviously disposing of any uh, hidden information or whatever um, and then kind of examples on how pe- pe- players have dealt with it and then how um, maybe multiple different players have dealt with it and then how ways that you've kind of helped them through these situations. Yeah, sure. Um, so any sort of mage injury that we get where they're looking at probably more than eight weeks out, um, we always get the sports doctor involved so they can oversee the rehab from a sort of higher medical point of view. Um, always have the coach and the SNC involved as well as myself. So anything major, generally once we've diagnosed that injury, which we'll use imaging to make sure that we have the, the correct diagnosis, um, we generally will have a meeting with the the player and their parents and our SNC and myself and the head coach and usually the academy manager as well. So we have a, a really good team approach. Um, 
and we basically we map out their rehab so we use a, a calendar system and we'll have each week listed and we'll, we'll phase it as well so they'll be in the the strength phase and then the return to running phase and then sort of the speed and agility and then back into full training so generally myself and the snc will work on that calendar together um and then we'll have it ready for that meeting so we can show the player really clearly this is all the steps you have to go through so we can return you fully fit with minimal chance of re-injury um, at the end of this process so sometimes that's daunting to the player because sometimes they're looking at six months or nine months or 12 months depending on what the injury is um, but we we just try and make sure we explain everything really well in that meeting and have the parents on board uh, and that seems to help and then we provide plenty of cross training options so we have a swimming pool at the club that the players can use we've got the full gym so there's lots of training different sort of um off legs conditioning that we can do we also do have the ultra g treadmill so we can use that as well so we try and just show the player all the options they have instead of all the restrictions that we're imposing um and yeah generally that works quite well um we, we haven't had too many problems where the players have got frustrated and gone back to playing without telling us I, I guess it does happen occasionally i personally haven't had any problems with that so that's been really good um but yeah, generally the, the expectation is that they follow exactly what we we prescribe as part of being, you know, as being part of the academy. And if, if they don't want to do that, then the academy is sort of, it's a bit difficult for us to continue to support them. So sometimes these kids will choose to return to club football and drop out of the academy. Um, as I said, it doesn't happen very often though. And generally yeah, and if that if that does happen, everyone's on the same page. The parents, SNC, myself, the coach, we all know exactly what the plan is. Um, and if there's issues with it, then it's sort of back to club football. And unfortunately, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And I think, would you say that that group approach of, of having everyone involved, having that sit down, having that plan laid out, that's something that where if you've seen some people that are kind of hesitant or kind of scared that – you said, I guess, too, that it also might scare some people, but will you say it goes the other way as well, like having all that laid out and, and, and a plan for them? It might help some people more than obviously just, you know, if they're at the a different level or, or so on that, you know, you'll, you'll be out for X amount of weeks roughly and then go back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for any athlete that's dealing with a with an injury, the most frustrating part is when you don't have a plan, when you don't really know what your diagnosis is and there's no plan and you're just in this sort of, no man's land, you know, waiting week by week, just hoping it's going to go away. Um, so we try to make sure we're, we're right on top of the diagnosis um, initially. So we send for imaging if there's any sort of uh, uncertainty about what the diagnosis is. Um, once we get that imaging back, if we're still a little unsure, it's a bit vague, then sports doctor is involved straight away and they'll set the timeframes for us. Um, and then we can make that plan Uh and I think, yeah, if a player can see each week this is what they're going to do, it definitely motivates them to get back. You know, as opposed to if you just say, okay, you've got three months before we can start running with nothing to fill in that three months, it's pretty demoralizing and it's very hard for them to get motivated. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't expand to, because you talked about, I mean, I know it's it's definitely going to change for each, each injury, but maybe your longer term ones, uh, kind of the phases that you'll go through with, with these, with the players to get back, if there is a general uh, if you guys are, if you're allowed to do that and then maybe talk about how that you mentioned, you know, swimming and, and some other options, how you guys work together to, to keep them fit and active while still, uh, working on their injury. Sure. So 
Probably one of the most common injuries we see, and it tends to be quite a long-term injury, um, is a lumbar stress fracture, particularly in our, seven, oh, I'd say 16, 16 17, 18-year-old boys. Um, we've had quite a few in our program, and that tends to just come about from all the load that they're doing and combined with the fact that they're growing. So generally, um, we prescribe about six months for this injury in terms of return to play. Uh, and initially, the first sort of six to 12 weeks is completely offload, so it needs to settle. So that's really tough um, for these boys because they can't actually do anything for at least six weeks, sometimes, well, generally up to 12. Um, even swimming, we won't let them do. It's just complete rest. So that's always really tough. Uh, there's not a whole lot we can give them in that in that phase, but we still get them to come along to training each week so they're involved and we're checking in with them. And then once they get to that, that time frame, then we can start with some light gym and we start the swimming, we get them on the bike. So then we start to do... So the first phase is like your off-legs phase completely or complete rest. And then we move into a conditioning phase and a strength phase, trying to build up their the glutes, um, their core, the lower back strength in general. And then eventually we start to move into the return to running phase. So that'll be a, like a cardio phase to start with. And then we'll go to a little bit more um, running intensity. So agility and increase the running intensity and then start to add in some match simulation drills. And then finally start to add in some contact drills and then it's back into modified training without contact full training with contact for a couple of weeks before we look at returning to play. Yeah, um, and, and so that's, oops, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. So yeah, that, that's for a lumbar stress fracture. Um, for a shorter term injury, so say a, a quad strain, which we do see a little bit of in this age group. Um, so the initial week will be off legs, but we'll get them boxing, uh, seated boxing if we need to, if it's quite a high level quad strain. Um, Swimming, uh, if it, again, if it's high level, it's swimming with a pool boy between their legs and in the gym doing upper body. So that's for the first week. The second week, we start to move into a, a strength phase. So really specific quad strengthening exercises and we progress them over the next few weeks. Pretty early on, we'll start to add just really low intensity running as well. Um, so from three to four weeks onwards, it's the conditioning phase with the running. So it's longer, slower, steady running. Uh, and then we start to add that agility, intensity with the running at the speed, then add a kicking, so introduction to kicking, which we usually would start with an Oz kick ball, uh, then build up to a normal football, and then we start to go more into your match sim and your really high intensity running. Mm -hmm. And and you said before that you obviously are working with S&C throughout this, so maybe you want to talk a little bit about how that collaboration goes that you found that works best in order to get the players back at uh, quickly and safely as possible? Yeah, yeah. So working with the S&C is great. I think it makes both of our lives um, a lot easier. So I'll do the initial diagnosis. Um, we'll work with the S&C to formulate our our time frame. So say if it's a hamstring strain and we're looking about eight weeks return to play, um, I will generally do all the running return to play. Uh, so they're, they're running sessions each week and the S&C will look after their gym program, um, which is great. And we'll We'll talk together and make sure we we both agree with what's happening. Um, but yeah, I'll heavily supervise every running session that they do, and SNC will supervise every gym session. So yeah, it's it's really then, great that way. And then, do you guys have any any sports science at that level as well? And and do you guys go into GPS with all that, or is it is that more of your uh, the highest level 
Probably that's more the highest level. Yeah, we'll use a GPS um, through our games, but we don't tend to use it with the training. Yep. Nice. And then I guess have any of those players that, that you've mentioned, uh, has any, have any of them you noticed any common struggles that they go through, whether that uh, be being injured the first time or just a big injury at that level trying to get drafted right before um, you know a, a big season? Is, is there any commonalities that, that you've noticed amongst them and ways that you've dealt with that? I guess one thing we do see that's um, quite common is like generally our Gold Coast kids um, are really good at following our protocols and they, they know about the reporting of any injuries and what to do from there. Um, but every year we do have kids that come down from North Queensland or Northern Territory, which have grown up with a different system. Uh, it tends to be a bit more of a laid back system. So they, they come into our program and they, even though they're told to report, they don't necessarily report. Um, so occasionally we pick up on injuries two or three weeks later when more damage has happened and the rehab sort of already is on the wrong, wrong track. From there, um, so I do find with those kids that they don't follow instructions as well as our as our Gold Coast group, um, which is purely just because that's how they were brought up. Uh, so it's a general statement, but generally their rehab is a little bit more complex um, and takes a little bit longer. Occasionally they do have a recurrence, usually in the first two weeks after the initial injury because they haven't followed our protocol um, or they haven't actually told us. Uh, and then with this group, it's, it's extra hard because they are away from home. So they're living out of home for the first time. They're 17, 18. They've had to go to a whole new school, meet new friends. And they've basically come down here to pursue their football dream. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on them to try and get drafted. So it's a lot of stress. And then you throw an, an injury in, which some of them haven't ever had any injuries. And they don't realize that if you don't rehab this quad properly, it could turn into a three or a four month thing. Uh, so that's that's really tough. Um, it's again just trying to make sure we educate them as best as we can, and then making sure they do have some support systems in place. So whether our club psychologist needs to get involved or our welf- welfare officer, it's just making sure that everything else is running smoothly for them down here. Yeah. Okay. And then with with those players, whether that's complex or just a certain situation, someone wants to play, and how do you, I guess, sell or show them the importance of rehab or talk to them about the importance of rehab and, and doing it properly without getting, so they decrease their likelihood of getting injured again. And then so they can get back to playing at their highest level. Cause I mean, I know you said initially it's been ingrained in them, which is, you know, a lot, which is a big benefit comparatively to normal, but I mean, I'm assuming still the, you know, teenage kid is still going to want to play. So is there ever, you know, instances or things that you do about that to, to help them, you know, maybe hold the back that extra week that they need to or, or really commit to this even though it's going slow? Mm. Um, I guess the, the best thing we can do is try and use that combined club approach. Um, you know, so I would tell the athlete that, look, this is this is going to give you the best chance to have a full season if you can just hold back that extra week. And then the S&C will reinforce that and then the coach will reinforce it and the team manager reinforces it. So, so the um, athlete knows they've got four or five people that are looking after their best interests. It's not just the physio who's holding them back. It's four or five other people. Um, so generally that team approach, you know, it's not like we're ganging up on them, but we're more trying to show that support. Um, but then they also know the coach isn't going to pick them if um, S&C and physio haven't cleared them. So, And then, yeah, they, they have that option to go back to club footy, but generally the son's relationship with the club um, football teams is – is really good as well. So if we've said to a club that, you know, they're not okay, 
the generally the club's not going to play them either. Um, so yeah, it's 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 that team approach to try and support them and, and educate them as much as possible. Um, if they're really adamant that they want to play, you know, they can always go get a game at school or something where our relationship isn't quite as good. Uh, and that's obviously hard to stop, but I think we make it aware to them what the risks are if they re-injure in this game. That's their academy season pretty much done, and that's on them. So we do put it back on them a fair bit, trying to teach them that responsibility. Yep. How, how does that meeting go uh, with with everyone in there? Is it uh, obviously you're going to, depending on the game or how close it is and how big a game and so on, is that going to kind of, you're going to have to, the coach's decision might weigh in a little bit and then risking, I guess at this level too, maybe risking their future, future careers, maybe your, your biggest concern. So whereas at the AFL level, you know, you know, if it's the grand final, someone might play. Whereas if it's this level, you know, if they're trying to get drafted, it might be a little bit different. Is it, is there kind of more of that thought process at, at this level or is it, or is it really focused on the season or more long-term or a combination just really depends? It does tend to be a bit more of a long-term focus. Um, so yeah, their health and well-being is definitely our number one priority. Um, you know, and if they're 30% not right and, you know, 70% right um, for a game, so say they're 30-70, yeah, I guess we may push those ones. The ones that are pretty much 50-50, um, we probably do tend to hold back. Uh, a, a lot of the time it is the coach's decision. So myself and the SNC can go to the coach and say, look, he's, he's ticked everything off. Um, he looks good, but he's say he's only five weeks post the injury. And ideally we wanted six. I know this game is important. It's, it's just going to be a big risk. Um, and then, yeah, it is a coach's call, but the, the coach is really good at putting it back on us and saying, well, what do you think? You know, how confident are you? And if I say I'm 50% confident, then he's probably not going to play him. Say I'm 70% confident, then probably he will. Um, the other option we have is always just to play limited game time. So play half of each quarter. Um, that tends to work quite as quite well too. Uh, particularly with the academy games, they can be a bit shorter. So it's 20 minute quarters. So we have the player on and off each quarter. They play 10 minutes of each quarter. That's 40 minute game all up. Um, that's a really nice option to have, which yeah. obviously at your, your high AFL level, you can't do that because you can't risk having someone who's not quite right playing a game. Um, that's the great thing about the academy games. It's not, it's not so much win or loss that they care about. It's development, um, and each player trying to play their best. And then, so, so with with being able to play uh, part of the game, and that's kind of a compromise with with the player and and the coach and yourself and everyone, just a way to get them involved still, but not, you know, give them, I guess, the bigger risk of playing the full game. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's a really great option to have. Um, which uh, in my experience with club football, sometimes you say to the coach, look, they're, they're pretty iffy, but I'm happy for them to play 50%. Um, and the coach says, okay, no problem. And then you get to game day and two people get injured in the first quarter and suddenly it's like, well, sorry, we need this guy to play a full game now. Uh, so, yeah, it's it doesn't tend to happen in club footy, but academy footy, they're, they're great. You know, if two guys get injured in the first quarter, we're still going to stick to our agreement with this other player because their future is too important to, you know, whether the game's win or loss. Yeah, so, yeah, so that, that's one of the biggest focuses, I guess, is that long term, that long term goal, which is, uh, I guess, a cool, a cool thing at this this level. Mm, yeah, absolutely. 
So you mentioned a lot that you do work with the, the S&C. So have you, have you guys implemented anything to try and decrease the risk of injury at this level or anything specific you watch out for? Um, to if, you're, if you identify that, then maybe you should pull back a little bit um, to, to yeah, try and help decrease that injury risk at this level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so our, our S&C is great. He comes up with sort of the, the prehab program um, each year. So every player does have their individualized gym program from him, um, which has certain top-up exercises that he wants them to do daily, depending on their weaknesses. So uh, myself and him will sit down and have a good chat about each player that's going to be in our squad this year, what their previous injuries were and what we know their weaknesses are. And then we agree on three or four exercises that we really need to prioritize for them. Um, and that becomes their daily exercises. So say if they have a history of hamstring problems, we make sure that they're doing really specific hamstring strengthening along with neural hamstring glides as part of their individualized daily program. Um, so that's really good. We've got a really good sort of uh, warm up routine that we have. So the players come in about 45 minutes before training starts. They're, they're on the foam rollers, they're doing the activation drills, and then they're out on the field doing their proper warm up. Uh, so yeah, anyone who's had some kind of injury, they've always got really specific activation drills to do as well prior to they even start training. So that den- does tend to work really, really well. And it looks after each player individually, which is great. Yeah, so identifying, I guess, some general ones that you guys want and then even individualizing more to prior injuries with players that you've you've seen before. Yeah. I guess more even, even on load management more or with, I guess managing players uh, obviously you, you said some of them will go down and play at, at the local level and and then and play up here is so how do you manage all of that with playing at the suns playing at the local level managing how much they can and can't play and being injury free as possible and and also trying to obviously if they're trying to get drafted or, or go to the higher levels you know playing enough to to keep playing but not too much to then set them back yeah yeah um and it is really tricky with this age group because they in year 11 and 12 a lot of them go to football specific schools as well where for the school the football program is the most important thing for them um so they have school football they play club football and again for the club you know the club wants their best players so they want these guys to play for them and then they come to us which is their rep football uh but they, they just know that rep football gets a priority um, and rep football is also where they will get noticed. So in terms of getting drafted, it'll be at these high level rep games, not so much club football and, and not at school football. Uh, so w- when they're with us, because our season will be quite heavy from November preseason um, until about February and then generally we play between March to May or June. Uh, so they know priority is, is Suns football. Um, they're with us at training. They don't go to club training during that time. They can do one or two school trainings, uh, but when our program gets quite heavy and full on, we put a stop to the school training as well. Uh, and then when our season finishes around that June, they then go back to club footy. Um, we just see them once a week then, and they're, they're training with the club twice a week and playing club footy. So we're happy for club football to be prioritised then, but during uh, sort of February, March until May, June, priority is definitely on us and... The school seems quite good with that as well because, again, their their major games tend to be more towards the end of the year when our season's finished. So it's, it's a good sort of little crossover um, that we have. We try and split things so everyone works in well together. Mm-hmm. And while what what's harder sometimes to convince or is it a big issue with obviously the, 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 the teenager but also the parents? So is that ever uh, 
an issue of, I mean, I don't know how much it is of, of your necessarily job, but I, you might be involved somewhat and then get, get some say in that as well, especially injury wise. But, you know, if, if some, you know, parents wanted the kids to play more and so on, is, is that an issue you see much or not too bad? Mm, it can be. Um, like generally we, we start, so if I'm talking about our boys squad, there'll be 60 boys in the squad in November, um, which we do a cut around January. And then I think we do another cut around March. Um, so by the time we get to that March group, they sort of just know like, this is how it is. And if they don't agree with that system, generally they haven't made the cut. Um, or if, if they're wanting to prioritize school or club footy and they don't like how intense the Suns program is, they don't tend to be in that, that group come March. So all the ones that make that group in March are very, very dedicated, very driven. Um, and it's so ingrained to them to do sort of exactly what the club, what the sons want. Um, and they'll just, they'll follow along with that because they, they, you know, all really want to take that this, this chance that they have to follow their dreams of getting drafted. So yeah, generally parents are really on board with that as well because they see the sons as, as the highest level footy that the son or daughter can play um, at that stage. And, you know, as, as important as school and club footy can be to them, still sort of sons takes priority and they're all really well on board with that. Yep. And I guess what you mentioned before, we talked a little bit about this, uh, other factors that might be, uh, I guess, adding up to the to this age group um, and some of the ones that are away from their families and so on. So do you maybe want to expand a little bit more on that of, of other factors that, that you guys try to take into account of training, of injuries and, and so on to try and help these uh, teenagers get the best that they can out of playing and um, if, if they're rehabbing as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, we have to remember that these are year 11 and 12 students. So school stress obviously has a huge impact on them. Um, a lot of them have part-time jobs as well. So they're trying to balance training four or five, six times a week, plus games, plus a part-time job, plus studying for school. Um, Plus the ones that have moved down are also living out of home and they're in an unfamiliar environment. So there is a lot. Um, and definitely at the Suns, we're, we're really understanding of school stress. And usually because our group is quite small by the time we get to March, we can tell when, when different different people in our group are struggling. Um, you know, they don't seem themselves or they're not as chatty and usually it's quite obvious to us. So it's just a matter of pulling them aside and, working out what's going on and if they're really struggling to balance school and football then priority will be on school uh, so we give them one session a week off if we need to or we try and support them as best as we can um, in that regard and then yeah of course sort of year 12 stress can have a, a massive play on the, the injuries you know sometimes we'll see a simple injury that just isn't doing what it's meant to do and when you talk to the athlete about it they've got all this other stress going on which is feeding back into the injury cycle uh so it's getting our welfare officer and our psychologist involved with that as well and trying to just give as much support um, as we can and then obviously the other thing to look at is is their diet you know make sure they're recovering as best as possible so we have nutritionists involved as well particularly for those kids who are who are living out of home because by the time they finish at the club, it's 7.30, sometimes 8 o'clock at night. They drive home. They're ruined after a big day of school and then footy. And sometimes these days they've been at the club at 6 a.m. to do their gym session before school. So the last thing they want to do is go home and cook a nutritious meal. Um, so it's just trying to educate them on, on meal planning and meal prepping and making sure that they know what they're having for dinner a few days beforehand so they can have it all planned out for them. Mm -hmm. And then do you guys do any sort of, 
one that might not have to be every day, any sort of questionnaires or any monitoring like that to, to check on these guys? Or is it, or are you guys pretty much just, you can tell by the conversations and just uh, seeing them every day? Oh, we use a, um, a daily sort of checklist as well with them. So they, they need to fill that out every day for us. So myself and the SNC look at it. Um, it's yeah, it measures their general sort of fatigue levels, their well-being. So it'll look at, um, trying to think how the scale goes, but it will say how sort of how tired do you feel today? You know, between one, no tiredness at all to 10, worst tiredness I've ever had. Um, we look at their sweat, their sleep quality, their general soreness, how sore are they feeling? Uh, so we, and how stressed they feel. So that'll, that survey will, will highlight the ones to us that have scored really highly. So we're checking that before training. And if someone's consistently scoring poorly and consistently sleeping poorly, we definitely make sure we pull them aside and have a chat and work out what's going on. So yeah, that's a great one to tip us off. Um, they also do a, a little physical screening as well before every training session. So we, we look at the knee to wall, um, the neural glides. I can't remember what the other one is. Um, but yeah, there's a few things we look at there and if anything's coming up, oh, sorry, it's, it's a hop. So it's just a three hop back and forth and they're rating any soreness. Um, plus the, the knee to wall great, is great to tell us if they've suddenly lost range, you know, what's going on there and that can potentially be a precursor to injury. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those tools are really, really helpful. Yeah, okay. And then even on... I guess with this age group, as you've mentioned a couple times with it's, you know, it's, it's developing them for the long-term development, but then it's usually a little bit more, would you say strict or looked after, uh, to try and help develop these qualities because they, you know, they're going to need more support at this level with, with, you know, you're, if you're working with AFL, you know, they're, they're adults, they have families, they, you know, have been doing this for a long time. So is there anything else that, you got you think so really important on this level or or any expanding on that that you want to do with the fact that you guys do potentially play a bigger role in shaping this uh kid as a up to a person and and developing good habits as well Mm, yeah um yeah I i think as you said it is more just trying to get them to develop really good habits um which generally they do have uh by the time they're sort of in their 18th 19th year um but yeah it's just it's putting it back on them to make sure that they are ticking every box and doing everything right. And if they're not, if they're missing sessions or whatever, I mean, generally that gets found out pretty quick um, and they get dropped. So it's sort of on them to do all the right things. Um, But yeah, in in terms of putting anything else in place, I think it's, we've sort of already tried to do it um, by that stage. So it's with the gym routines, it's with the the pre-training sort of screening, uh, it's the reporting of injuries and then it's, they, they know they can reach out for help if they need to. They know that myself, the SNC, the coach, the manager, we're all available um, if they need us, of course. Okay. I guess one, one last big question here. We'll, we'll talk about so advice to the, the youth athlete, the parent, as well as the support staff, whether that be strength conditioning, physio, et cetera. Uh, what's your biggest piece of advice for each of the, those three categories to try and, uh, I guess, help the achieve the best result um in in this higher level setting for like i said the the athlete the parent and then the support staff so my my biggest piece of advice to each to each person from like a physio point of view basically yeah yeah from your experiences in this in the kind of elite uh youth or academy level and then you're from the physio side as well yep Mm, yeah um 
So, yeah, so I guess to the athlete, my biggest piece of advice is just trying to be on top of any injury really early. So making sure they report it really early to us um, because then it's, it's my job basically to work out is this going to be a concern or is this something we can push through? Because um, then we can get onto something just so quickly. So, you know, a, a lower back that's been sore for a day or two, we can easily offload that and settle it down as opposed to a lower back that's been sore for two months, which potentially may now be a stress fracture um, that they haven't told us about because they thought it would go away. Now we're looking at that could be six months out. That's half a year, if not your whole season gone. Um, so it's just trying to get them really body aware um, and to report everything to us so we can work out how important is that, basically. Uh, so, yeah, that would be my physio advice to the athlete. Um, physio advice to the parents is is probably just making sure that they're not pushing the kid too much. Um, as we talked about, they've got those three different types of footy. They've got club footy, school footy, um, and, and rep footy. So it's as much as they, that child probably wants to be involved in everything as well. It's more, can we, can we focus them on being able to hold back when they need to, you know, instead of rushing around from training to training? Cause that's when we'll see the overload injuries for sure. Um, so I guess it's trying to educate the parents on what's really most important. You know, if, if your kids had a sore back for two months and there's a school grand final coming up in the long run, that's not so important. Um, so it's the priorities in that regard, which I know when you're in year 11 and 12, whatever you have that year seems to be, you know, the biggest thing uh, is just trying to educate that there's always more to come. You know, if you miss a game or you miss a season, there's so many more seasons to come. It's not the be all and end all at that age. Uh, and then who was the third group again? Sorry. Just uh, any support staff, whether that be coach, SNC, physio, uh, any some general advice just working with that from, from the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so like reporting to the coach, it's, it's just, um, trying to be really clear with my education, uh, and my directions. And I feel like the worst thing I can do, and I definitely made this mistake when I was, um, younger in my first year or two in football is to go to the coach and be like, oh, so his hamstring is a little bit sore. I don't think it's a tear though, but you know, it could be a risk and he, he could play this weekend, but you know, just being really wishy-washy in what I was saying. So I did, I've learned just to be a lot more direct and say, look, he, he doesn't have any localized tenderness. He has full strength and power. He has some hamstring awareness, but indications are that there's no nothing structural there. I think we give it a couple of days, check in again, and it, he should be okay for the weekend. It should be good. Um, so, yeah, just trying to be really, really direct and, and know what you're going to say to the coach before you sort of start to have that conversation. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, thank you very much for that. I think it was it was good to see from uh, I think two biggest things I took away was that long term development, and then also working with that age group to develop them more, obviously as a person and as well to set them up for that future. And um, even just being you know in the physio role or a support staff role, that you do have that ability to um, influence that 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 age group. So I think that's that's uh, some cool takeaways from from mine from this conversation. Um, I guess if you just first, uh, or if you want to share where people can, if they have any questions for you, uh, where they might be able to contact you, um, and then we can finish it up there. Yeah, sure. Um, so I do, I work with the sons and then I also work in private practice at Summit Sports Physiotherapy, um, which is on Palm Beach Avenue in Palm Beach. And feel free to contact me on my email, which is hayley.gosman at goldcoastfc.com. Um, always happy to answer questions then. Uh, 
but yeah, to any sort of budding physios listening out there, um, my biggest advice is just try and get involved. Um, like definitely as a new grad, I got involved in everything that I could and that's how you build your connections and then you work your way up. Um, you know, and, and just trying to do a really good job all the time, which if you're passionate about the sport, it's just not hard to do a good job because you're just happy to be there. So it's great. Perfect. Well, thank you very much again for taking the time to be on. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to No Week Links. If you'd enjoy the show and would be able to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated as it would help the show reach more people. I also provide free strength and conditioning content and injury rehabilitation content on Instagram at Coach Patrick Wood, on my website, www.patrick-wood.com. All this information can be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening.